Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. Have you ever done a favor for somebody and when you were done, you figured they'd at least say thank you, but they didn't? Or did you ever do a favor for somebody and it didn't really come out right and they were actually angry at you because it didn't come out the way they they wanted it to? Well, we're not the only ones that face things like that. Jesus faced this also. He faced an issue with a group of people who he did, kind kind of did them a favor, and they really weren't thankful. And that is in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, starting in verse 11 anyway. It's a very familiar story about Jesus healing ten lepers. So I want to read the story with you. I know you're familiar with it already. There's a couple of verses in there that we will make some comments on before we get started and pray. So starting in verse 11, it says, Now it happened, as he went through to Jerusalem, and talking about Jesus, he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. I always find it amazing that we, we take a lot for granted because we take what, what happened then into the times now. You know, when we go from town to town, we hop in the car and I have to go to Poughkeepsie and ten minutes later I'm in Poughkeepsie. Okay? When Jesus and the apostles had to go anywhere, they walked. There was no bus to get on, no car to get into. Um, they, they didn't have animals to ride to get there quicker. They had to walk wherever they went. And a lot of times they were barefoot, <laughs> walked barefoot through these things so that's why they had the foot washings a lot of times in when somebody came for dinner they would wash their feet first so we have a tendency not to think in those terms of well if he's going to go somewhere he might not get there till tomorrow you know it's like us traveling halfway around the world okay there then he as he entered a certain village there met him 10 men who were lepers, who stood far off. Now you notice the lepers stand far off. And the reason for that is because they really weren't supposed to go near anybody. They didn't know a whole lot about leprosy back then, other than the fact that it was really a death sentence for anybody who got it, because they didn't have any medicine that would cure it. And Leprosy back then, uh, it, it would start, it was, it was more of a skin disease, so it would start on their body, but it would e- continue eating away at their skin. So that they sometimes lost their fingers, sometimes they would lose, lose a limb, their arm or their leg. Uh, it, w- it was a horrible, horrible disease, and on top of that, it was very contagious. So they didn't know exactly what you know, how, how much you could get it just by being near anybody. So usually, people with leprosy uh, stood far off. And then, they also made it a religious thing. 
Because anybody who touched a leopard had to go to a priest and be cleansed because they had touched a leopard. It made them unclean. So lepers were the, the dregs of society back then. And usually they found a spot where they just would live on their own because they couldn't live with their relatives, their friends, their, their family, none, none of that stuff. So it was, it was just a horrible, horrible thing. We do have leprosy today, by the way, but it's curable. <laughs> it's, if somebody starts to get leprosy, they go to the doctor, they get medicine like many other diseases, and the doctor will take care of that. So now the lepers, it says they lifted up their voices, so they were far off, so they kind of had a yell, lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Apparently they knew about Jesus and the healings that he had performed. They must have, because why else would they ask for mercy? So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest." And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And I want you to notice here, sometimes God requires obedience. And if you look at the healings of Jesus throughout the New Testament, there were times when Jesus would just heal a person, period. And that was it. It was instantaneous. There were other times... And even in the Old Testament, there were, there were times when people were required to do something, to show their faith in some way, and then, because they're showing their faith, Jesus would heal them. So in this case, Jesus told them what they needed to do, and so they, they did it. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, I I wanted to kind of take this into a modern day thing so that we understand this. The Samaritans were not part of the Jewish religion back then. They were not, they were not the Jews. They had been separated from them. So, we have to assume that since one was a Samaritan, what were the other ones? They were probably all Jewish. I, we, we, we just assume that, even though it doesn't say that. So if you take that into, into today, it would be something like ten people went up to Jesus, if Jesus were here with us now. He is, but, but we can't see him. But if he were here visibly, ten people came up, ten, I mean nine, were Christians. And one was not. That, that's, that's not what happened here, but we're trying to make an analogy so that we understand it a little bit better from Jesus' perspective. So let's, let's go and see what happens. So Jesus answered and said to the Samaritan, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who return to give glory to God except this foreigner? So, again, thinking in terms of of today, here's the non-Christian coming back, falling at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, and thanking him. And the the non-Christians who received their healing didn't bother coming back thankful. 
All right. So we're, tr- we're, we're trying to just kind of bring that story in, into today. Notice uh, worship here. Uh, it was important, too. Uh, it's not stressed. Jesus doesn't say, thank you for worshiping me. Uh, he just accepts that worship like we were doing just a little while ago, uh, spending time worshiping him. Worship is so important and uh, so important to me that uh, my next sermon is going to be in two weeks and the title will be A Lifetime of Worship. And that's you know what I want to talk about because it, in two weeks, because that is so important. But here we see it. We see thankfulness, which is what we want to talk about today. And we see worship happening in this. In this. So Jesus says to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So Father, we thank you right now for everything that you give us, everything that you've done, you've done for us. We know, Lord, that you have performed miracles in our own life. Just the fact that we have salvation. Just the fact that we know that we're going to spend eternity with you. So we, we thank you for that right now, Lord God. Help us to be grateful, Lord. Help us to be grateful in all that you do for us. And Lord, as, as we do, that we may draw closer to you because of that. And we pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I, I was thinking, if I said to you, let's take some time and think of all the things that we have to be grateful for. I think tomorrow we'd still be here doing it. There's so much that God has given us that, unfortunately, we forget. We take take a lot for granted. And because we, we take those things for granted, we never think of saying thank you to God. All right? And you can see how important this was to Jesus because Jesus makes note of it. Where where are the nine? How come they didn't come back too? All right? It is important to him. God expects thankfulness. It's something that uh, he um, expects from us, but he doesn't demand us. He doesn't, um, you know, tell us we're really bad because we're not doing it. But in our own lives, we would think if we did a favor for somebody and they never thanked us for it, you know, we might say, see, that's kind of funny that never really said thank you for that. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that um, I'm disappointed. And I'm sure in Jesus' mind, he's caring more for the nine that didn't come back than the one that did. Because the one that did became righteous in that, all right? They had faith in him. The nine didn't show that at all. They were obedient in the beginning, because apparently they went to the priest like they were told to do, but they didn't come back with thanksgiving. And, and God expects that to happen. I want to turn to the book of Thessalonians for a while. And chapter 5, some very short verses. There are three verses I want to read. 
And in these three verses, there are only nine words. So I want to read them first and then go back and talk a little bit about that. Starting in verse 16. Rejoice always. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. So, nine words, but are they power-packed in there? If you ever want to measure your own spiritual maturity, and you can do this on your own, you don't have to ask anybody else, read these three verses, these nine words, and then just think about your own life and how much are you fulfilling those three verses? They really, if you read them the way they're written there, they're not suggestions. They're commands. And, and they're not easy commands to keep. Alright, let's look at verse 16. Rejoice always. Boy, I catch myself all the time. If, if things are not going well, I'm not exactly rejoicing. All right? And it, th- this is a hard scripture to follow, but it's one that really God wants us to be able to do. The reason why we can rejoice is because of him. Because no matter what we're going through, he's with us. He's, he's going through whatever we're going through, going through it with us. And that's part of the rejoicing that we do. See, it's easy to rejoice when things are going well. You know, it, and fortunately for most of us, things are going well most of the time. But there's times when they're not. And that's when we can test ourselves and say, gee, I need to grow a little bit more in that spiritually. I need to grow so that I'm rejoicing all the time. If I want to be a witness to other people, especially people who don't know Jesus, we need to be rejoicing. If we're down in the dumps, that's not a good sign, you know. Others are, I don't want to be down in the dumps with that person. I don't know. I don't want to have what you have. You see, so the rejoicing is what people will notice even when things are not going well with you. Okay. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. We've talked about this before, and uh, you can actually go, if you like to go back and listen to old sermons, I talked about how we pray without ceasing, because it's, people would say, I can't do that. I, I've got a job, and when, when I go, go to work, I can't be praying. Well, we're not talking about being on our knees praying. We're just talking about talking to God, being aware Okay, of, of his presence and, and having him help us out in what, whatever we're doing. And it's that conversation that we can have with God while we're doing other things that, uh, that's what praying really is. Praying or talking to God brings us closer to God. Being closer to God helps us to pray more. Praying brings us closer to God. Being closer to God will help us to pray more. 
Praying brings us closer to God. Are we getting that? It, it, there is a, uh, there's, there's a, um, what's the word when you have, uh, something that you, you know, and I, I can't think of the word for it, but it, it just, one brings the other and they just keep working back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay, and one will help us do the, do the other. Our goal is to draw closer to God, to be more intimate with Him. And the more we talk to Him, the closer we get. Okay, and the closer we get, the more we're going to want to talk to Him. And that's what praying unceasingly is. It's just this, it's a lifetime of just talking to God. I mean, there are times when you get up in the morning and you have your meditation and you're, and you're really focusing on praying for people, interceding for different things that are going on. You can't do that all day long. You've got work to do. You've got kids to feed or whatever you're doing. That, that has to be done. You can't, you can't feel like you'll be praying, but you can talk to God during those times and being thankful to Him. I want to talk a little bit about habits because sometimes uh, in order to get to a point where you can do these things, you have to create good habits in yourself. And a habit, obviously, is something that you do over and over and over again. The problem with habits, where you have to be careful, is sometimes when you do something over and over and over again, it becomes a ritual. And a ritual is something that you do over and over and over again, but has no meaning anymore. And I'll give you some examples so that you understand that, because we have to get a balance in our life of how we pray unceasingly without making them rituals. For example, you sit down for a meal. Thank you, God, for this food. Everybody dig in. Okay, and we do that every night, night after night after night after night. We don't even think about what we say anymore. Okay, I think of it as, as a Catholic. We used to have, uh, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. You know, it was a, um, uh, a prayer that you say before a meal. But so often, things like that just become rituals. We say them. We don't even think about the words because we've said it, you know, 1,650 times in our life, and this is the 51st time, and we, ju- we just go through it really, really fast, and, and that's it. See, that, that's a ritual, and we just have to be careful that our habits don't become rituals, but they, they do have meaning to them. Coming to church on a Sunday morning can become a ritual. And we don't think about it too much, but um, because it's Sunday morning, oh, Sunday morning, we go to church on Sunday. And we do what we do, and then we go home and live our life again. All right? It, it can. I'm not saying it is, but it can become a ritual. And we just have to be careful what things we do in our life and the meanings that these things have in our life so that they don't hurt our relationship with God, but they help our relationship with God. 
they don't draw us further away from God. They draw us closer to God. And that's, that's the goal of this. And we're the only ones ourselves that can determine those things. Nobody else can, can say, oh, that's a ritual that you're doing. Nobody can say that to you. Because if you're doing something and it has meaning between your relationship with God, if it has that meaning to it, then it's not. It's not. But I'm just, it, just be aware that it can happen. And, it, and I think it does happen, and we have to be aware of that. So we want to get that happy medium in there so that we are praying without ceasing, but we're not praying ritualistically. Okay? Verse 18, in everything, give thanks. Another thing that's very difficult to do. In everything, give thanks. Again, going back to what we were saying, rejoicing always, if you... Uh, are having a bad day, do you still thank God in that day? And again, we're thanking God because he's in there with us. He's going through whatever we're going through. He's going through it with us. It's hard. I think it is anyway. It's hard to be thankful sometimes when things are not going well. But remember, thankfulness is a decision. It's not a feeling. We might not feel thankful when we say, thank you, Lord, for being in this situation with me. I'm caught on 84 and my car just died and I'm sitting on the side of the road. You know, thank you, Lord. (laughs) You know, but he's there with you. Those are hard times to think about being Great, grateful to God, but we, but we have to. Okay, let's look at some of how God looks at unthankfulness. Because sometimes we've, look, you know, we've looked at the positive, but there are negatives to it to show where God stands with that. So I want to go to Second Timothy in chapter three, starting in verse one. But know this, that in the last days, we're in the last days, so it's now, perilous times will come, for men will be. Why why are there perilous times? Why are there dangerous times? Because men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people, Turn away. So when we look at where God measures unthankfulness, look at that list. If we are unthankful, we're in that list. And that's an awful list. That is not one that we want to be associated with. So we can see how God views unthankfulness. 
He, he, he further views it in, in Romans chapter 1. Go back there very quickly. Starting in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Those that say there is no God, okay, they're without excuse. Because it's obvious, and that's what God's saying here. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what does the word futile mean? Basically, it means their thoughts were useless. Their thoughts failed completely. Okay? Because they're so wrong. They're so out of whack. Yet, if you read the rest of chapter 1 in Romans, you see a lot of this is what's going on in our society today. So let's go on to some more positive things. Let's go to Acts 17. And we enter into... One of my favorite scriptures. Let's start with, well, I I want to give you a little history behind this, first of all. Right before we start reading the verses that we are, Paul's in visiting another city, and he sees a... uh, an inscription on an altar in the city that says to an unknown God. All right. In other words, they worship all different kinds of gods, and they said, just in case we're leaving any any out, we we're also worshiping the unknown God, whoever that might be. So Paul comes in and starts telling the people, "Well, I I know who your unknown God is, and of course that's Jesus Christ." Okay. So we'll pick up from there, verse twenty-four. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is a Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined, and this is important, has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings for this purpose, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God Places and he he knew this from all eternity. If we go back hundreds of thousands of years ago, millions of years ago in our time, God knew at that time that he was going to place each of us here, the boundaries that we're in, and at this specific time. And there's a purpose for that. He doesn't do things without purpose. And that, that to me is mind-boggling. <laughs> Just to think back. He has known this for all, from all eternity. 
that he set up boundaries. So what are those boundaries that we're talking about? Well, he's put each of us in the country of the United States of America. We're here for a purpose. Now, the country itself has a purpose. God founded this country and allowed people to find it as a, with, with a purpose in mind. And you think back, all right, without going into a lot of specific history, but he put it on Columbus's heart to travel, to eventually find this, this area. He put the founding fathers, our founding fathers, at, in, in this country at a specific time when we needed uh, a government, when we needed to fight against the British in order to be free, to start this nation. All of these things, God placed them in that place at a specific time. So what, what we have to know is, what is our purpose in this country? And one is very, very easy to figure out. And then after that, we have to figure most of it out on our own. The one thing is to be praying for our nation and the leaders of our nation. That's, it, it's so important. And when, when God accepted you uh, as a Christian into, uh, in, into a relationship with him, when he does that, uh, you automatically, all right, since you're in this nation, you automatically are asked to start praying for the country and for the leaders, start choosing good leaders for, for our nation, godly men and women that will help to lead it in a righteous way. We can't expect any non-Christians to be praying for our nation. It's not going to happen. It'd be unrealistic to, to, to think of that. So it's our responsibility. And not only is it our responsibility, but there's also an accountability that comes with that. We're accountable to God for what things he has asked us to do and, and whether or not we do them. And we have to figure out what some of those things are, but we just know that it's automatic, is, is prayer. All right? So that's as far as the United States is concerned. He also placed us in this state, New York. And New York needs a lot of prayer. So, you know, what things does he have us doing? All right? And... It depends on where he, he leads you in this. Prayer is one. But another thing might be, uh, you know, voting for the right people. Uh, also, maybe um, calling representatives about issues that are going on, issues that are regarding to righteousness or unrighteousness going on. All right. You Again, it's whatever God shows you as you live in this state. Now, you're living in a town. God has given a plan for a town in here and for you within the town and for Bridge Builders Church within the town. And these are all things that uh, we have to ask God, what, what's your plan here? What, what do you want me to do? What do you do, want us to do as a group? And we're responsible for doing that. All right, so it, there's, there's a job that God actually automatically gives us. 
And you know that there's a spiritual kingdom of darkness that's going to fight against that all the time. Alright, going to try and put things in our way so that to make sure we don't get to do those things. Alright, so uh, we, that, that could be another preaching and I'm not going to get, get there. But in Genesis 25, and we're not going to go and read it right now, but there's a, uh, there's a story of Esau in chapter uh, 25. And you know Esau sells his birthright, all right? He, um, he decides that a bowl of stew was more important than his birthright, and he happened to be very hungry at the time when he came in from being outside. And chapter 25 ends with Esau despised his birthright. Now, this is something God gave him. And he despised it. And we have to be careful. I just want to take that kind of into the present. God does not like the fact that when he gives you something that you despise it. God has given us freedom in a nation. And we have to be careful because there's a lot of organizations now that are out there that despise our country. And they, and it's not a secret, you know, I mean, they, they come right out and say, and if you read like Black Lives Matter, and you read what they, what they're promoting, what they're promoting goes completely against the freedoms that exist in our, in our country. So we, I just, I just want to make you aware of that, um, because scripturally, God, wasn't too much in favor of Esau when he despised his inheritance and wound up losing it. So, I want to uh, just give you a couple of things that God showed me about discipleship within our nation. Number one that is that a disciple is always aware of God's plans. Right? God's going to show it to us. If you feel like you're not sure what his plans are for you within our country, within our state, within our towns, that's something to ask him. You know, God, what do you, where, where do you want me? What do you want me to do in this? Number two, we are to work with God on his plans. So whatever he shows us, all right, we're to work with him on his plans. And I can't give you specifics on how you do that because that's something that God has to show you, you know, or lead you in in that. The third thing that the disciple does in that he prays according to God's plans. So when you see what God's plans are, you pray in accordance with that. Again, whatever God's showing you. And the fourth thing, the last thing, a disciple always rejoices at the fulfillment of God's plans. When you see God's plans being fulfilled, or at least going toward that, we rejoice with God in that. As we do these things, we will, we'll grow, 
will grow in our relationship with God, will grow in our purpose, will see more clearly what God's purpose is, is for us, depending on you know where we are at the time. We will see more of our purpose within the church itself. I want to end with this statement that I felt God gave it to me as I was planning for this. Church is not a place. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with him and a relationship with each other. So our place right now is here with Bridge Builders Church. What is his plan for us? How can we work in uh, accordance with his plan here to be praying as we see things developing and coming about? And then as we see God working and doing things and things coming, you know, bringing to a conclusion, I don't think it ever really comes to a conclusion, but we can see it working out. We rejoice with him. We're rejoicing with God in that.